Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Whom you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Yeah, I will follow you. Yeah. In you there's life everlasting. In you there's freedom for my I would just uh, like to thank our praise team and musicians and just a blessing to me uh, when I, you know, because I have said before I love music and it encourages, inspires me to worship. I'm just musically challenged, so I'm blessed when others who are gifted are actually using their abilities for the Lord. So thanks, team. And uh, just a couple things that I want to call to your attention. There's, there's a lot of stuff in the bulletin. Uh, if you're interested in helping out with our roofing project, uh, there, just designate that on your offering somehow that you want for the roof project. That's uh, ongoing contributions that we need there. Also, uh, there is a box on the table out there for offering as you see fit to give. If the Lord leads you that way, you can give online. And I would say if you have a struggle, you want to set it up to do it online and you just don't know how, then just email Megan at Creekside DM and she can set up a time to call you and line it up. So I'm a little technically challenged too. So uh, some people would say, well, you know, just you just need to do this and do this and do this. And they use all the jargon and the lingo, you know, from the techie stuff. And it's like, okay, I kind of look at them like a deer in the headlights and I, I don't know what to do. So uh, some of you would like to do it, but you just don't know how. On the, in the bulletin, uh, there's an email address for megan at creeksidedm.com, so you can do that. Also, we're looking for volunteers to serve in the nursery. We are back up and running with our nursery now, so if you're interested in doing that, please uh, contact Megan, or actually you can see my wife, Marla. She's helping out to get some people coordinated for that in the time being until uh, Carrie starts doing those responsibilities again, all right? I think that's it. Other things are in the bulletin. One more thing I thought of. If you're here as a guest and this is your very first time on the bulletin, there is a, an, a flap there that is, would register your information. You could uh, tear that off. I, there's no way to discreetly do it, so just sometime do it if you would. Fill it out and then put that in the offering. We'd appreciate it, okay? Thanks. Let's pray. Father, I just have been encouraged as we've uh, worshipped you this morning. Thank you for your goodness to us and the way in which you have provided those who will inspire us to come into your presence as we've heard your word read, as we have sang these songs together, lifting our hearts in praise to you. We pray now that as we open your word, that your word would speak powerfully to us and that you would do your work in us and through us so that we don't just receive the word, Lord, but that we would go out to repeat the word and to disperse the word that we have learned and heard, and that you would help us to apply it to our lives. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, according to Bleacher Report, which I don't read frequently, but according to Bleacher Report, Pat Tillman, uh, who, was play, who played football uh, for the Arizona Cardinals, was... Uh, left the Cardinals uh, several years ago and in, enlisted in the U.S. Army following the tragedy of 9-11, okay? And he turned down a $3.6 million contract to leave the, uh, the Cardinals to go play, uh, or playing in the NFL, to go uh, serve on the battlefield. 17 years ago, he was killed uh, while serving his country. And... He is just one of many who are worthy of our adoration, worthy of our recognition, worthy to be noted as someone who sacrificed for, for a great cause. But this morning, we're here to worship somebody and to learn of somebody who is not just worthy of our acknowledgement and recognition, but who's worthy of our absolute devotion and worship. And when I say worship, I mean he's one who's worthy of us entering into a relationship with him. He's one who is worthy of our commitment of our entire life in submission to him. And this is the person of Jesus. We saw uh, last week that uh, Jesus proved himself to be the son of God 
and able to take care of not only our physical but also our spiritual needs as he broke the, the, the bread and fed the, the 5,000 with the, two, the five loaves and the two fishes. And now this morning as we continue in the text of Mark chapter or Matthew chapter 14 and beginning with verse 22, we see in verses 22 through 36 that Jesus again supernaturally manifests demonstrations of his deity that make him alone uh, worthy of our worship and our, our devotion because he proves himself faithful. Faithful in the face of a fearful situation here as we see him walking on the water uh, to meet with his disciples. And so if you have your, your Bibles or if you have your, an app on your phone or some device, you can turn, if you will, or get to uh, Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. And we're going to look at several of the powerful demonstrations, not only of Jesus' deity, but of his concern for humanity in the face of adversity that mark him off as uniquely the one that should be given all of our devotion and attention. And so I'm in Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 22 through 36. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountains by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But seeing the wind, uh, not really seeing the wind because we can't see the wind, but he saw the effects of the wind, he became afraid and began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt and when he got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. And when they had crossed over, they came to a land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent into all the surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. And they began to entreat him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were cured. Here we have our Lord. Met with the disciples. They were trying to get away on a little break, you know, a little retreat. And they were met with a multitude of people. And so Jesus challenged his disciples, you know, at the end of the day, give them something to eat. Whoa, wait a second. Yeah, get in the ministry with me here, guys. Do your part. It's something that you're going to take part in. And so Jesus broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples who gave it to the multitude. So they were taking part in the ministry themselves. And then we come to this section. Now, that's night's over and he immediately sends his disciples away. And we see these different marks of his deity and concern for humanity. And the first one is that our Lord cares for us. He cares for us. He has concern for us. And we see this in two ways. First of all, he's conscious of our condition. Immediately after he fed the 5,000, he sent the disciples away. And we don't learn it in this text, but in uh, the parallel text in John 6, we learn that the, the crowd who was left wanted to make Jesus the king. They were trying to set him up to be the king. And so he sent them away. And then he hiked up higher into the hills, into the mountain, so he could spend the time alone with the Lord in prayer. Now, he sent the disciples, and you have to, could see them. Wow. He was conscious of what was going on. He wasn't, you know, wasn't out of, out of the, the, the loop. 
And it says in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 14, it says, But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, I've ridden my bicycle into some pretty stiff winds on several occasions. It was my, my training practice was ride into the wind on the way out and ride with the wind on the way back. Because by the time you get out as far as you can go, you're, you're pretty uh, wiped. And, you know, it, it, is, it is, to do that is mentally disheartening. I mean, it is like, it's like uphill training, right? And it's physically exhausting. So imagine you're one of the disciples and you've been, and you're going nowhere, you know? So think about this, when we're tossed about by the difficulties that, that are in our lives, either because we've been obedient to God, or just because we're living in a fallen world, I mean, there's two reasons for it, we, we may not seem like we're making any headway, but we can rest in the fact that the Lord knows about our struggle, and I think he, we can say he's, he's praying for us. He was up there praying, right? I don't think he was just praying, you know, he was probably praying for the disciples as well. We know that he does that according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. I'm inferring that he does that based on this passage. So that might be a stretch, but I don't think so. So I think about our own church family abroad. I think about Lucas and Lois Richard. Uh, Lucas and Lois are serving. They're rowing against the stormy winds of life and ministry, right? They're rowing against the stiff winds of their own physical challenges. They've got some physical debilitating issues that they're struggling with, and they're rowing against the oars. They're rowing against the spiritual opposition to them because they're in the ministry. They're rowing against COVID restrictions, you know? They're rowing against cross-cultural and ministry and third world existence. All of that, you know. And I think about us here, Creekside Church, the people who are listening here this morning and online. Some of us are straining, you know, and some of you feel that strain a little bit more than others. And you're Straining at the oars against contrary winds, the contrary winds that may come in many forms, but it may be that you've got family that's just critical. Maybe they're just critical in general, but maybe they're critical of your faith. You're struggling against, maybe if you're in school, it's these inconsiderate or just plain nasty classmates. It may be an obnoxious neighbor. It may be an unreasonable boss. It may be this cantankerous co-worker that you're working with that you can't understand why they're that way. It may just be financial struggles or it may be physical challenges or mental issues that you're dealing with. The boat was many stadia away. John tells us it was three to four miles. <laughs> Jesus' vision is better than a hawk. He saw him three to four miles at night, straining at the oars. So it can't be a full moon, okay, get it? So it's, it's a difficult time. I guess maybe it could be, just the winds, maybe there wasn't rain, I don't know. But anyway, it was a supernatural work of God to see it. And the severity of the storm only added to the, the wonder of it. But the Lord was not ignorant, nor was he indifferent to their problems. Neither is he to ours. He's not ignorant. And he's not indifferent to whatever it is that we are struggling with, whatever we're battling with. There's a penetrating passage in Hebrews chapter 4, which says in verse 13, no creature is hidden from his eyes. But all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And then in verse 15, he says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but who is in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he knows the frailty of our humanity, and we know that he is conscious of our, our struggles. Secondly, we know that his compassion takes action. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, 
came to him. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Between 3 and 6 a.m., he came to them, which means that they had been struggling out there probably for several hours. But at just the right time, he incarnated his concern. He personally showed up to express it. And you know what? There are times that the Lord brings storms uh, into our lives in order to reveal his character to us in a most memorable, memorable and meaningful way. In a way that we wouldn't know outside of the storm. I think about Lazarus. The reason Jesus allowed Lazarus to die and then be raised was what? So God would be glorified. So that the people would believe that he is the Son of God. He brings those challenges in in our lives as well. He is our rock and he is our refuge. It says so in in Psalm, uh, Psalm 23 verse 4, a passage that, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I now shall not want. But in verse 4, it says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside so waters. He restores my soul. The Lord is with us. Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2, you know, God is our refuge in the time of need, a very present help in the time of need. Though the earth should shake and the mountains quake, be cast into the heart of the sea, he is with us. It's ever-present help in the time of need. Ever-present means he's there when we don't even know he's there. A similar idea in Psalm 62, verses 2 and 6 and 7. He is our strength, our stronghold. In him we will trust, the psalmist says. Our strength, our stronghold. In him we will trust. It's repeated three times in Psalm 62. A friend of ours had a 20-something daughter who was traveling overseas, and she landed at London Heathrow, London's Heathrow Airport, and she was to make a connecting flight, but for various reasons, and I think I'm getting this story right, I'm not trying to embellish it or change it, but it's coming from my memory, which is fading these days, so I'm telling you, so she, she landed at Heathrow, she was supposed to get a connection, but I think through circumstances, which you would understand if you've flown at all internationally, her flight was the next day supposed to she had missed her connection or whatever so she's standing there uh, outside the airport looking kind of distraught because she hadn't planned to stay overnight in London and uh, some strange man came up to her and said what's the problem you seem to she oh I missed my flight and I don't have any place to stay and so he invited her to come to his place this will give you no comfort as parents raising young people she went Everything turned out fine. Uh, He took her back to the airport the next day. No problem. God watched over her. God brings circumstances that are struggles and challenges, but God is there watching and caring. He's not ignorant of nor indifferent to. Whatever challenge, whatever struggle, whatever hardship we have, and he's not oblivious to ours either. Our God cares. Our God not only cares, but our God controls our world. Notice it says in verse 25 that he came walking on the sea. This is not hoverboarding. Uh, He was not wakeboarding. This was not, you know, uh, somehow using some technology. He was on the sea. And the miracle is even accentuated and more remarkable because it was stormy. Some of you maybe have seen this show, what, the deadliest catch or something like that, you know, and they got this seas like this, and the waves are knocking the guys off the boat and stuff. I mean, Jesus is walking on this stuff. I don't know how. I don't understand it. It blows my mind. But here's the deal. It was made remarkable. But Jesus is not subject to what he created. What he created is subject to him. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul reminds us, for by him all things were created, speaking of Jesus, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or rules or authorities, all things are created by him and for him, and all things exist 
And he can, and he, and goes on in verse 17 and says, And all things he has control and cares for, and they are under his control. Okay, that's not the exact wording, but it's a paraphrase, okay? They, 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 they exist, and he controls it. He's the creator. He's the one in charge of it. He's the one who's there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 says, The worlds were made by him. So he's the one who does it. Let me ask you this. Does Elon Musk or the Tesla cars that he engineered and designed deserve more praise? Well, of course, Elon Musk does. He's the the creator of it. He's the one who designed it. And interesting, despite our best efforts as human beings, we can control very, very, very little of what God has put on this earth and what God made. We can't control very much. Think about August 10th and 11th of 2020. A derecho of 145 mile an hour winds whipped through Nebraska and Iowa and Indiana and like six or seven states causing $11 billion worth of damage and destroying half of Iowa's corn and soybean crop. Uh, I think we have a picture of the uh, crop damage near Adel, if you look at the corn. And, I mean, it's just flattened. And this is weeks before harvest. What do you do to, you know, guard against that? You know, nothing. This is God. God is in charge of it, and God is in charge of it, and Jesus is in charge. Mastery over the sea, according to the the ancient Near East, was something of God's dominion, and only God had charge of it. It His activity attributed only to God alone, which means Jesus is saying, I'm God. (laughs) The sea was a place of dread for the people in the Middle East, in 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 ancient Near East. And God says, "He's, he's walking on the water. Jesus cares about us. Jesus is in control of all things that are going on. He is the one who's in control of all nature, and he is our indomitable ally in everything we encounter. Thirdly, we see in the text that our Lord comforts us in 26 and 27. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it's a ghost. Well... That's understandable, I think, at least from my standpoint. You know, you don't just, you're not just out on a stormy sea and just see, you know, somebody walking by. It's not like living around here where they're just tooling down the trail. Like, whoa, this is a storm, and these are seasoned veterans. Most of them are, com- are accustomed to traveling by sea. Most of, some of them are fishermen. They're not afraid of the sea, but they were freaked out now, and this ghost was there. It says immediately he was there. He was there to be them and to comfort them present. Calms are first. Take courage. It's okay. Take courage. Be confident and concerned. And the basis for their confidence, what did he say? Take courage. It is I. Whoa. Ding, 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 ding. Bells and whistles go off. Ding, 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 ding. They're thinking that what Jesus just said to us is the same construction. He repeats the same self-revelation of God that was given to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses said to God, who should I tell the people sent me? And he says to him, tell them, I am hath sent you. Do you see that Jesus is demonstrating through his actions and his words that he is equal with the Father? He is the Son of God in the fullest sense that he is deity and proving that is who he is. His familiar and authoritative voice was to calm their fears. I walked into the emergency room at Mary Greeley Hospital in Ames, and I called out my daughter's name, who had just been in a car accident and was there to be treated at the emergency room. And as soon as I spoke her name, tears of relief washed down her face because her dad was there. 
and she felt safe. They're walking on the water. Jesus is walking on the water. And they're freaked out. And he says, take courage. It is I. I don't know what storm is assailing you right now. But the same Jesus who said to them, it is I, take courage, says the same thing to you. He comforts us in our time of need. If there's anything we've learned from the past year of of COVID craziness, it's that life is hard. And life is painful sometimes. It's frightening and it's discouraging. But I think we need to be reminded just what we're reminded of here, personally and in ministry, that God's children, we don't need to fear whatever storm is assailing us. We don't need to be afraid because Jesus has promised, I am with you even to the end of the age. That's what he says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. But interestingly enough, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the author applies God's assurances given in Ex- or in Gen- uh, Deuteronomy, I get it yet. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6 through 8, he applies those promises, the promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is God giving the promise to Moses and the children of Israel as they're preparing to enter the promised land. I will never leave you and forsake you. And those promises are now applied to all believers. In Deuteronomy, uh, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will help you. Surely I will comfort you. Surely I will be with you forever. He's, he's there. This is his promise to us as well as to them. We have a dear missionary friend who was at one point in his missionary service pastoring seven separate congregations all at the same time. And they required that he prepare seven separate messages every week. And leaders from the churches would travel around and be in the congregations of the various churches to ensure that he never repeated any of the previous messages. That's insanity. I mean, if it's worth preaching to this congregation, why wouldn't it be worth preaching to the next one? Think they have it all down? I doubt it. But by God's grace, God supported him. God sustained him. God strengthened him, and he got through that. Now he's serving one congregation that only requires him to do one message at a time, and he's doing fine by God's grace. But here's the deal. He's with us as well as he was with the disciples, as well as he was with our friend. He's with you parents. You know, you're you're directing your children to love Christ and to live for Christ, and there are no guarantees. But God is with you. I comfort you. I am with you. He's with you students who are graduating. As you walk out into the brave, you know, bravely into the, the, the world. It's scary. He's with you in the vast unknown. And those who are headed to serve the Lord in Haiti, and if you're thinking about it, guess what? God's with you as you make that choice. He's, as, as a friend of mine says, you're never safer than anywhere you are with God. Wherever you are with God is the safest place you can be. So, and God is, is with us. And believers, you're trying to return to normal, right? After COVID or, in the, in, you know, still hanging on. It's, it's, he's with us in our individual health struggles. He's with us in our financial hardships. He's in, with us as we're trying to honor him, as we're trying to enjoy what it means to be in a relationship with God, as we're trying to live fully surrendered to him each and every day. He's with us. Our Lord, not only cares about us. He not only has control, he comforts us. And then we see that there is no storm so severe he can't calm it. There's no problem so big he cannot solve it. 
There's a Scott Wesley Brown song to that name. You can Google that sometimes, Scott Wesley Brown. If he carried the weight of the world, I know my brother, I know my sister, he will carry you. Fourthly, our, our Lord champions our faith. Verse 28. And Peter answered him, you know, remember? Jesus says, take courage, it's I. And Peter, impetuous Peter, he says, well, if it's you, Lord, uh, then invite me to come out and join you. And we see here a couple of ways that Peter's interactions with Jesus show how the Lord champions our faith and cheers on our faith. First of all, he reinforces our courage. I don't see that Peter's statement here is one of doubt, but more of a desire. Lord, I want to be where you are. If it's you, Lord, well, then invite me to come. Not like, well, if it's really you, Lord, invite me to come out there. No. I mean, Peter didn't jump out of the boat and say, okay, Lord, I'm here. Save me. And Jesus didn't say, jump out of the boat, and I'll take care of you. No, it was, Lord, if it's you, then can I join you? It's kind of that idea. And so I see a genuineness in in Peter's love for the Lord. He wanted to be near him. He wanted to serve him. Is that you? Is that me? Lord, if this is where you're at, this is what you're doing, I want to be there. I want to be part of that. Can Can I join you? I'm willing to do whatever. Dave Olson is one of the most gifted Bible teachers I know without any classical theological training. He used to physically get sick before he would get up in front of people because it scared him so much. For not, I mean, many times he would get sick, but he continues to get up in front of people. I don't think he gets sick anymore, but he did it because he knew that God was with him. He knew it that the Lord wanted him to get out of his safe place and serve him where he was. The Lord's encouragement of faith and his expression of love, his encouragement of faith and his expression of love is one word, come. Come. And to Peter's credit, he, he went, all right? Verse 29 And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Don't forget that. He got out of the boat. Because we're going to, you know, people are going to poo-poo Peter here in in just a few minutes, right? They're going to say, well, Peter, you know. Where were were the other guys? In the boat. Sorry, I didn't mean to use a lot. They're in the boat. Uh, Peter got out of the boat. And I want to know... Am I, are you, as professing believers, people who say, we name the name of Jesus, people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, are we willing to get out of our safe place? Are we willing to get out of the boat to work with students on Wednesday nights, to serve in the nursery, to go to Haiti? Are we willing to get out of the boat, out of our safe place, to serve in the music ministry? the worship ministry at Creekside? Are we willing to get out of the boat to help with ESL classes, to help with refugee ministry? Are we willing to get out of the boat to serve and help and volunteer at Freedom for Youth or to give more financially or to just stand and greet people and, oh, there's somebody I don't really know. I'm not really sure. I I, I like to say hi, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scared. Well, they don't know you either. So you want the guests to come up to you. Is that how it is at your house? Oh, people just walk in and then they introduce themselves to you. Yeah, no. So what are we doing? Come, what does it mean to worship God? It means that I'm entering into this relationship with God. I enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ and I seek to magnify his glory whatever and whatever I do. He has my heart, my soul, my mind and everything that I say, do and act. That's his. That's what it means to worship, to worth, to attribute worth to him. It's how we live. Get out of the safe place. Folks, we gotta, we gotta, I need to, we need to change the way we approach life as believers. We're supposed to be out there living for Jesus, not hunkered down, waiting for the rapture. 
Believe me, Peter's example should challenge us to courageously step out. The Lord will support us. The Lord will sustain us. The Lord will strengthen us. Someone has aptly said, the Lord will enable what he requires. Okay? So whatever he's requiring of us, he'll enable us. God isn't looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Okay? Peter was available. And then he rebukes our cowardice. This is the part most people, I think, focus on with Peter here. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. When our love for and our faith in God moves us out of our safe place, there will be doubts. There will be doubts. You know? There will be doubts. Oh, yeah, should I come to Creekside Church in Urbandale? Well, yeah, that's what God's calling me to do. This is what we do. So that's what we did. Peter's initial faith got him out of the boat, but it faltered, okay? And uh, why did he lose faith? Why did he doubt, I guess? I don't know. That, I'm not saying he lost his faith. I'm saying he faltered in his faith. It was weak faith. So what caused it? Well, his focus turned away from Jesus, right? He noticed the wind, the effects of the wind, and onto the storm, away from Jesus to actual or potential problems. You ever think about the potential problems? Well, I would like to go to Haiti, but, you know, I got a job, and it's going to cost money, and I could get sick, and blah, 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 blah. You know, you can make a list, a long list, and Satan will help you. To stay fearful. He's really good at that. Well, I couldn't go up and greet a new person. I wouldn't know what to say. Here, I'll give you the clue. Just say, hey, my name is Steve. I don't believe we've met. That's pretty hard. How's your life? Well, tell me about your name. Tell me about your family. Tell me. It's not that hard. But it takes a little faith. You say, well, I'm kind of an introvert person. My, my friend used to puke before he got up and preached. Didn't keep him from doing it. Well, I don't know. What would you do for Jesus? What has Jesus done for you? Oh, he just died for me. So anything short of death really doesn't count. I'm thinking. See, if we focus only on our circumstances or on other people, and not on the goodness of God. See, that's what doubt is. We, we just lose sight of his goodness. Or we discount his greatness. When we lose sight of his goodness and his greatness, and we, then we're going to shrink into fear. And when we shrink into fear, then we're going to stink up our witness. And when we stink up our witness, we're going sh- to sink our fruitfulness. God wants us to live. See, weak faith fails to keep our eyes on Jesus' power because he's called us as believers to a purpose. And his purpose should dictate our actions. But when we lose sight of his power, then we, 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 we bail on reaching out to our community. Then his purpose of us interacting and reaching people for Jesus, we shrivel away from that. We shrivel away from engaging our culture from a biblical perspective. We shrink back from facing our peers confidently. Because God's purpose should dictate our actions, which means we should be living to be salt and light in the world. We, we shrink from leading our family spiritually. Young men, this is the most difficult challenge that the, Satan will throw in your face is how to be a spiritual leader in your family. And Satan will drag us down. But the Lord, Lord's response to the faltering faith is another testimony as to why we should worship him. First, he rescues us. Okay, He didn't have to rescue Peter, but look at verse 31. And and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. He didn't say, well, I'm going to kind of let you sink a little bit and we'll see what you do. You know, He's not sadistic. It wasn't like, okay, let's let's just watch him squirm a while. Let's let him bob up and down and come up for air a few times and then I'll get him. No, you just reached out and got him. I've got you, Peter. 
he struggled, uh, you know, and in his struggle, he, he wanted to serve God, but he, he faltered. You ever been there? I, I am. I struggle in my service for the Lord. I struggle in my faith. I don't, I'm not always bold with my neighbors. I'm not always nice to the cashier register. I'm not always generous with the people who are budging in line. I'm not, you know, so we, we falter and we fail. But he rescues him, and then he rebukes him. He says, oh, uh, you know, you have little faith. Verse 31, the end of the verse there. He says, you, little, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Our doubt indicates an anemic view of God's person and his power, of his goodness and his greatness. It's our faltering. And he's not saying you need to gin up an old mountain load of faith. You just need to have a settled confidence in the person of Jesus. Just know that God's got me. That's it. I like what John MacArthur said. He said, Peter's weak faith was better than no faith. Just don't be too harsh on Peter. It's better than nothing, you know. The Lord champions our faith. The Lord calls us to deepen our faith. How do we deepen our faith? Exercise it. Where's God calling me to get out of my safety zone? Maybe I need to step out, even if I don't feel like it, and see what God does. And every time we do, he strengthens our faith. And then the Lord comes to our rescue when we're faltering, when we're frightened and frustrated and fatigued, and he comes along when it falters. And I just want to be, and I'm praying, I'll be as merciful with other people as, uh, as the Lord is with me in this. Because other people's faith falters too, and we can sit there, people living in fear. People don't know. They need to trust God. Like I trust God all the time. No. Then we see that, fifthly, that our Lord calms the storm marvelously. Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, so Jesus joined him, right? So Jesus didn't just throw him in the boat and stay out in the sea. They got into the boat. The wind stopped. Don't pass over that. He got into the boat and the wind stopped. Now there's another story in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus, they woke him up, you know, and then he commanded, he rebuked the wind and the wind stopped. Jesus didn't say a thing. Just stopped. The wind stopped and what was their response? Well, in Mark chapter 6, they were astonished. (laughs) And Mark also tells us that the incident of the loaves, which had just come before, had left their hearts hardened. But I'm telling you what, when he got into the boat and the wind stopped, their hearts, their eyes were opened. And what did they say? You are God's son. You are God's son. This is the pinnacle of the passage, you know. Uh, When Jesus... What he did in their presence was told in the Old Testament. I'll read you the passages in Exodus chapter 14 uh, through chapter 15, verse 21. This was something only God could do. Only God had charge over the sea. And so when Jesus got in the boat and the sea stopped, boom, you are God's son. It's the first time the disciples as a group had ever addressed him this way. First time that they had acknowledged that Jesus is God's son. Now, we know Peter did earlier, but... or. Not earlier, he will in chapter 16. But this is the first time that they acknowledged him as God's son. And to question Jesus' identity at this point would be to call into question the testimony of those 12. Their witness, their eyewitness account. God's son with power to calm the storms. And he calmed the storms and he has power to cleanse us is the one who should receive all of our worship. He feeds the hungry and he rescues the perishing. He's the one we need to know and he's the one we need to make known. That's what it is to worship him, to know Jesus and to make him known, to enjoy and enter into relationship with him and to exalt him in his glory forever. That is our calling and that's what God calls us to do. Jesus is the promised savior, the one who died on the cross and rose again to give us victory over sin and death because we're messed up and headed for an eternity apart from God. We deserve God's wrath and judgment, but only Jesus died on the cross to take our sins so that all who would believe in him, put their trust in him as the son of God, the savior of the world would be given eternal life. 
And if you never made that decision, if you haven't seen here in this passage that he is God's son, the savior of the world, then I don't know what other evidence you would need. But if you see it and you understand it and the spirit of God is speaking to your heart, then I implore you, surrender your life to Jesus Christ and accept his death and resurrection as the payment and confirmation of the payment received and you will be one of God's children forever. Finally, our Lord controls disease. Now, this is kind of thrown out at the end. You kind of go, what's going on here? I mean, all of a sudden now, okay, he, he, they're going back to Gennesaret, which is kind of between, he was over in Bethsaida where he uh, did the, uh, the bread thing, you know, the, it was a bonanza for, for all the crowd. He, he did that thing. And then they're, they're headed back across the sea and they show up at Gennesaret, which is kind of a, a fertile plain there between Bethsaida and, and Capernaum. And so they, they land there, and the people recognize him. The people who wanted him, ran him out of town before, but they recognize him, and they go, oh, this guy, he's a good guy. He can heal you. So they went into all the, the wayside, and they gathered all the people to come in to Jesus, and they knew what he could do. Confident in his power, but convinced of their own weakness, they begged for a chance to just touch his garments. And as many as touched him were healed. Didn't take three or four tries. You know, they were healed. Now see, Jesus, the heart of Jesus' ministry was not healing, but healing revealed the heart behind his mission. Compassion. And it also revealed his ability to heal their deepest need, which was their sin. Remember, I think it was, it was back in Matthew 9, but it was in Mark chapter 2. They bring the paralytic. And what's the words of Jesus? First words out of his mouth when the paralytic is lowered down in front of him. He says, your sins are forgiven. Well, what do you mean? They brought him here to get healed. Your sins are forgiven. No, he says, but so that you might know that the Son of Man has power as authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your bed and walk. So his physical healing was a validation of his ability to do the spiritual healing. It's still true. And he's most concerned about the spiritual. Because if we're spiritually healed, then we will be forgiven, given the promise of eternal life, and one day we'll be with him in heaven where there is no more tears, no more tears, no more crying, no more disease. It will be permanent. That's the marvel of Jesus. There he is. He's a God who cares. He's a God who controls. God who comforts. God who champions our faith. God who calms the storms. God who conquers, not just disease, but the very consequence of disease which is death this past now well, within a month or so i guess there was a commemorative thing down in atlanta for hank aaron one of the greatest major league baseball players of all time broke babe ruth's home run record i think i got that right uh, he hit 715 he's worthy of recognition right hank aaron sure Maybe you don't care about baseball, but he's worthy of recognition. But only Jesus, God's Son, is worthy of our adoration. Our complete surrender and submission to him as Lord and Master of our life so that all of our life becomes dictated by his purpose, which is to enjoy him and to exalt him in all that we do and say. That's Jesus. But before we can trust Jesus to care for us, or to control our circumstances, or to comfort us, or we can trust Jesus to champion our faith or calm or conquer, we must trust Jesus to cleanse us. And if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, I mean totally given it to him, not just said, oh, I prayed a prayer, I raised my hand, I walked an aisle, I said, no, but you've totally surrendered your life to him, then that's what it requires. I think this moves us to worship him as our king. And I invite you to trust him today. If you do trust him today, if you are his child today, do we trust him? Where is it that I'm, I'm struggling 
to trust him? Where is it that I'm struggling to get out of my safe place? What is it that I'm failing to see in my own life that, that God wants me to move in a way that will exalt him and honor him better than I do? Lord, teach us to rest in your goodness and to rely on your greatness. And as we break bread, the bread that symbolizes his body broken and the cup that symbolizes his, his blood shed for us, if you're skeptics about all this, this is a time to accept what he did on the cross as a payment for your sin so that you can be cleansed and be brought into his family. And if you're here this morning, what a better reminder of the ultimate reason why Jesus is worthy of our worship than to remember his sacrifice for us. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to take this bread and, and drink this cup, I pray that you would work in everyone who's a skeptic, who's listening, that you would encourage them to listen to the Spirit's prompting. If you, Holy Spirit, are prompting in their lives, I pray that they would not harden their hearts, but soften their hearts and respond in faith and say, yes, I wave the white flag of surrender, Lord. I know that you are my king. You died for me, and I don't deserve it, but I accept it, and I'm trusting you now as my Savior and Lord. And I pray that that would be true in every heart here who is not a child of God. I pray that all of us who are your children, Lord, help us to be encouraged by what you've shown us, demonstrations of your deity and your concern for humanity in the face of adversity, that we would enjoy our relationship with you more fully and that we would learn to magnify you in all that we do for your glory and testify of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. No turning back, no turning back.